Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name is Jane. My name is Kurt. And this is Made You Look, a podcast where we watch an episode of each other's favourite TV shows and try and work out why we love the things that we love. And we always start with a smile because clapping is apparently a difficult task before you start a podcast. Look, you know, <laughs> it just takes us a second to remember how to do this. Like, every oh, single time we've got to remember. I'm running on low sleep. I've got an energy drink in my hands. It's Those who listened last week, as the, the bee sting is still there because we record two in a row. So, you know... Once again, I can't enunciate my M's and P's very well. But we're here to talk to you, and we're very excited. Yes, we are. One person especially so. Yay! <laughs> it is Jane's week this week. It is, and this is the second of our Halloween special double header. How was your Halloween? You can't answer me back, but hope it was either a complete fantastical non-event where you did absolutely nothing mm -hmm. and just binged out some good TV. Mm-hmm had candy for no other reason than you could. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do that all the time anyway. <laughs> Or also that you actually like put on some stupid, ridiculous costume and had some fun with your mates or even happened to take your kids trick or cheating, but did it in a very... Trick or cheating? Trick or cheating. Who's no? going to cheat? Who's cheating? Who's cheating on their wife or their... <laughs> yes, take your children during your affairs. Words. It's good to do while they're on a play date. Words. Um, uh, anyway... <laughs> any coffee today. I think this is why I am the way that I am. Do you need some coffee? Uh, you just, might need some coffee. Let's just see how we go. Okay. But uh, I'm very excited because I would have just come off wearing my Maleficent horns uh, for the first time. Maleficent, hey? Yes. I um, got a uh, Maleficent headdress silicon horn cap, which is basically just like uh, not a bald cap, but it goes over your head and it becomes that kind of headpiece that develops into yeah. the Maleficent horns that Angelia Jolie is popular as the character known for playing as, especially in the sequel that comes out this November. Ah, this November, hey? Mistress of Evil. Which is, not which is shortly after when you're listening to this. Exactly. Given that it is, I think, like the 31st of November that this comes out. October. God damn it. After Halloween. Sorry, I'm really struggling right now to, like, use the words required to record this podcast. I'm going to focus in. All right, so what did you make me watch this week, Jane? I made you watch, finally, The Haunting of Hill House. Again. We get some creepy but long special effects kind of slow pan extreme close-ups on items of various nature. Yeah, yeah, like we said last week, it's a very um a very common kind of style style of for visual language. I mean, I think it works for this one. 
Yeah, um, not like Iron Fist or um, maybe Luke Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it works. It's it's suitably creepy. I usually skip the credits because I find them quite creepy. Yeah, yeah. As you'll hear in my reactions, I do find one particular moment quite creepy. Great. <laughs> but Looking I like the maze. I don't know what that fully means for me yet, but I hmm. like it. Yeah. Because that's the cause you know, the closing shot before you see the house is mm. that it's like a maze inside. Mm. That makes me think of things, especially yeah. about keys and other things. I wonder what that could mean. Mm. Um <laughs> a little bit of of show context or I should say production history context type stuff. Um The Haunting of Hill House is a Netflix series, a Netflix original that was created by Mike Flanagan and came out last year in two thousand and eighteen. And it was my favourite show of 2018, despite the fact that it came out in October. You watched it more than once, didn't you? I have I have seen this possibly four or five times at this point. And how many episodes are in total? Ten or thirteen? Ten, I think. Yeah. 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 Um so Mike Flanagan is well known in the horror genre. Right. Um he's done quite a few horror films. Um he directed the what's about to very shortly come out, I think, Doc- Dr. Sleep. Oh yeah, which is yeah. A, a shining yeah. sequel. Yeah. Um. So that's him. It's it's sort of very loosely based on a 1959 novel by Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, of the same title. Of the same title. Um. I really like the novel. I really like it a lot. Had you read it before you saw the show? I had not. Mm-hmm. I read it after. Um, I saw the show first, and I was so taken by the show that I had to read the novel. The plot is pretty much in t- completely different. Mm-hmm. The plot is 1,000% not there. Yeah. Um, the characters, some of the characters are loosely based on some of the characters in the book. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh-huh. not all of them. <laughs> okay. And not, like, super closely based. But also, you said, did you say 1954? 1959. 1959. So, I can imagine that bringing that show into the modern era, you would want to update some of the characters maybe a little. Yeah. In terms of maybe a bit of diversity, but also to just uh, give them more um, relatability in today's day and age. It's less about, it's less about changing them in that way. It's more that in the original, none of the characters were related. It wasn't about a family. Oh. Um, it was never about a family. Wow. Um, Quite different. It was very different. It was it was basically about um, a, a lady uh, named, a woman named Eleanor, or Nell, who was part of uh, an experiment oh. to come to this haunted house and, and spend a few days in this haunted house to see if they could work out what the haunting was or what was going on in the house. Um, it's quite an interesting concept for a novel of that time to actually come out. Was it quite successful? Um, it was successful in its own right. Yeah. yeah it was, it's kind of known as one of the most seminal horror classics of the of the, the era. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of helped to shape a lot of what, that kind of thing, like horror be. novels, became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's one of those novels that like Stephen King found really influential mm-hmm, type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good, uh, and and I love it a lot. And I love the TV show very separately um, as two separate entities. But there's there's a lot of ways in which the themes kind of come through, and there's right. a lot of bits of um, narration and a lot of little quotes that once you've read the book actually are in the show that just kind of um, kind of in the middle of nowhere where you wouldn't expect that that would come from a book. All of a sudden I was reading the novel and I was like, oh, I know this bit. This is bit, they reference it in the right, TV show right. in a really just nice homage type way. It's not even 
said by the same character all the time or in the same mm. context, but um, I think it just helps to bring in some of those elements that were really poignant about the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, was, yeah. That's quite interesting because, like, I wasn't sure watching this show um, that if the novel that is written by one of the central characters ended up being, like, a dramatised version of, mm. you know, what their story was, was intended to be kind of like the novel itself. No, not yeah. really. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, not at all, in fact. Yeah. Um, it's it's very much – it happens to bear the same name, but it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. not that yeah. book. Yeah. Um, this, this show will have a season two, um, but this season two – uh, in the same vein of American Horror Story that mm-hmm. we discussed last week, is going to be different, a different story, totally mm-hmm, different mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. Um, it will feature many of the same actors, yeah. but not all the same actors. Mm. Um, and it will be based loosely on the 19, oh, 1898 novella, The Turn of the Screw, Whoa. which I have also read and is also quite good. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, like, uh, I've read some 18th century novels that I have really enjoyed. Mm. Oh, yeah, more novellas. I mm. guess in that time, shorter books were a bit more... Well, it was either you wrote a novella or you wrote a fuck-off massive book. <laughs> <laughs> there was kind of not a lot of in-between. That most high schoolers don't really get through. No. no. Uh, you know, I've read some Charles Dickens for my high school. Mm. I said most. No, that's a lie. I read some Charles Dickens in uni. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I'm really looking forward to the second season coming out as well. Um, mm. And that's going to come out in 2020, I think early in 2020. Um, I'd really like it to come out soon. I'm so excited. <laughs> It's coming, Jane. It's coming. Only a few more months now. I want it to be here now. But no, no. uh, It's uh, it's quite interesting. Is there anything else along the um, show's context that you wanted to inform me about? Um, I don't think so. If anything comes up, I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. But um, you've answered all my questions, um, basically. Yeah, I I really recommend if you enjoy reading horror, have a go at the Shirley Jackson book. Mm -hmm. Um, It's quite. It's not too long. I think I read it in an evening. Yeah. Um. And it's creepy in its own way, in a very different way. Yeah, like more in a kind of Blair Witch Project kind of no, way. No, it's creepy in a more of a psychological thriller, is she crazy, is she not crazy kind Oh, of I love those kinds of books, which is something you'll hear about, not exactly, but in a reaction kind of way of what I talk about in this episode. Would you like to give me some show context? Yes, I would, so we context, can get to that. Please? Yes, let's do that. So I found this really hard to do because this show works in two timelines. Almost three? Kind of almost three. We'll talk about it. Okay. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I split my recap into three timelines. Yeah, there's... Yeah, anyway. Um, so, just, yeah. I, I'm going to do this the best I can. <laughs> the Crane family in 1992 moved into a huge mansion in rural Massachusetts. Olivia and Hugh Crane flip houses for a living, and this is the last one they'll need to flip before they can afford to build their dream forever home. That's a really cute phrase, the forever house. The forever house, I love it. Um, but all is not well at Hill House, and the five children each experience strange, terrifying things. Steve, the oldest, is least affected. Shirley hears strange knocking in the night. Theo is sensitive to the secrets of people and things, and Nell and Luke both have multiple close encounters with literal ghosts. Their time at Hill House comes to an abrupt end when Hugh smuggles the children away in the dead of night, escaping from their mother for some reason, um, who then proceeds to kill herself. That's kind of loosely what happens in the in the first timeline. Mm-hmm. In the present, 25-ish years later, yep. um, the family are all separated and tense with their own issues. They notably have very little to do with Hugh, 
who lost custody of them when they were children. And Nellie and Luke seem to have really struggled with life as they got older, Luke being a drug addict and Nell being pretty unstable. The episode context, and we're doing um, season one, episode three. I also didn't. Um, Touch. It's called Touch. Touch. Of course it's called Touch. Uh, So I gave you season one, episode three, Touch. The Hugh Hugh family? The Crane family were shocked to hear that Nell returned to Hill House and killed herself recently, as in like two days ago. Her death brings up old pain regarding their mother, and they all deal in various ways. Steve grapples with his skepticism about ghosts in the afterlife, and Shelley insists on keeping busy and doing the autopsy herself. The story oscillates between the pastime in the house and the traumas experienced there and their reactions to this new trauma in the present. Mm -hmm. That's kind of all I really needed to give you. Yeah, I mean... I mean, there's more specific stuff, but I also don't know what's... Um, relevant to this particular episode. Relevant to this episode and isn't going to give a spoiler for later. I know this show so intimately, it's really hard for me to separate <laughs> it in my brain. I mean, to be fair, I actually watched The Swamp Thing twice mm-hmm. um, because I was a little bit drunk when I finished it and I wasn't sure if I was given enough clues in mm-hmm. the lead up to it. And because mm-hmm. I realized there was no more, I just went back and watched it again. Yeah. And I got a lot more from my second time watching it. Yeah. Um, but I think I was paying attention to the little details that. Uh, weren't nearly as obvious the first time around. Yeah. Uh, whereas this show, I didn't realize it has perspective shifts per episode. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, before I get into my recap, I will mention that I actually had seen the first two episodes of this ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jane knew this is kind of where I was up to, basically. Yeah, sort of. So there's a longer history behind there's it. There's a longer history, but separate to the time that we attempted to watch it, had you then seen those two episodes yes. as well? Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, so I did. I did when select this episode. I was at first going to give you the first episode because the problem with this show is um, you don't want to spoil anything, and also you can't really. Uh, I can't really talk about it without talking. Okay, about let's, the just, show let's just let's um, just get your recap and yes. then hear your reactions. Yes. Okay, so instead of a A, B, and C plotline, I've split this up into uh, three different timelines, which I referred to as BBR, before book release. Okay. Um, which is set two oh, yeah. years ago. Yep, yep, you're right. There is that other timeline yeah, in here. Yeah, so there's, so there's kind of three timelines that skips between. Um, so you've got just before the book was released. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got uh, as children when they were first in Hill House. Uh, and you also have the modern day. Mm-hmm. And uh, this episode is focusing uh, almost primarily on Theo, one Correct. of the uh, other characters. It wasn't until I got to the third episode that I actually realised that the episodes were character-based yeah. and that you were seeing the flashbacks I mean, it's, through... it's a little looser in the first few episodes because they're trying to provide more overall context. Yes, and introductions to the other characters and that sort of thing, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but by this episode, I was like, oh, we get, we get, a, we get to see it from their perspective this time round. Yeah. Uh, even going back like a few hours earlier or to the previous night so you see their reaction to a different event that had happened exactly or to the same event that had exactly happened. Yeah. yeah all right so first we have our timeline before the book release mm-hmm. steve attempts to concede that the book he's written includes all of them so they should get a share of the royalties uh olivia is very quick to shut it down mm-hmm. labeling shirley oh gosh i've written her name wrong shirley not olivia olivia's the mum. That's right. 
I've just written her as the mum, and then I realised I didn't realise. Oh, where I got she the name also from. is a mum. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I will say that when I first watched these episodes, I struggled a lot to separate the face of Shirley and the mother. Really? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, don't know, I think it's about similar. their smile and their hair. Okay. But I struggled a lot in the first two episodes to differentiate between the two. It okay. wasn't until this episode I mean, that I was like, okay. they're in literally different timelines, but okay. <laughs> You'll hear about that in my uh, reactions, definitely. Uh, okay, so Shirley is very quick to shut it down, uh, labeling this as basically blood money. After the book release at Nell's wedding, uh, she and her groom are struggling to find their respective parties, and only after finding one of her bridesmaids um, come out of a room uh, after having sex, that they also see Theo walking out afterwards, that her and Stephen knew that she was quote, into bridesmaids. <laughs> they take it fairly well after that singer. And uh, against the others' backs, though, it turns out that Theo has collected royalties checks from Steve's book uh, and announces that she'll spend it not on shoes or purses, but on a motherfucking PhD. <laughs> not a motherfucking... No, it was just a fucking Just PhD. a fucking PhD. <laughs> Uh, back in the house as children of Hill House, it seems that Theo has a peculiar curiosity that results in her finding and knowing things about this old house, as she finds a hidden vintage bottle of wine and bootlegger ledgers. After an incident with uh, Luke getting a jump scare in a dumbwaiter, I had no idea that was a name for what these things are called. What a dumbwaiter. So is that also what a laundry thing became? Is this like a more old style um, version of those no, kind of laundry lifts? A, lo- a laundry lift is usually like a chute as and opposed this... to a lift, or is this is literally like a little elevator? Yeah, yeah. And would be used for food scraps? No, just to send your food up to the... Oh, to other rooms, to other rooms or rooms like storage maybe also downstairs. That, also that you could like... The, the maid wouldn't have to carry like six trays upstairs and just send it up to the next oh, level and then just and then take it from there. Take it from there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, so in the dumbwaiter leading into the basement uh, and upon some of her recent discoveries, uh, their mother, Olivia, sits down with her to explain that sometimes special people like herself and her mother are sensitive. It's basically a capital S. <laughs> um, and can perceive things through touch. And she is given a pair of gloves, very X-Men Rogue style, <laughs> after seeing a haunting vision of her mother when she first held her hand after this started happening. In the modern day, uh, Theo is working with a girl who can't read uh, in therapy and is attempting to determine what monster she is talking about that visits her at night, known as Mr. Smiley. Sorry, not that the girl can't read, she can't read the girl. Yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> she was having trouble reading her. Yeah. I was also trying to figure out if she ha- had been staying there for longer, but we didn't really know. Had been staying where for longer? Like, had therapy sessions with her for longer before this started happening. Oh, uh, it seemed to me like that was a first yeah, visit. Yeah. Uh, Shirley uh, tells of uh, her of Nell's death, uh, the suicide, and they mourn together in memory and next steps. Shirley doesn't really know what to say to her own kids, but she doesn't want to lie to them, and Theo agrees. Better that they hear it from their mum than talking with her. Out at the nightclub, one of Theo's ex-one-night stands sees her at a bar, but with her looking completely disinterested, doesn't go up to Theo. Uh, going to the foster parents' house while the girl is, she is treating is at school, Theo goes to their basement. Theo goes to their basement and discovers, through her sensitivity powers, taking off her gloves, that the girl has been being molested by her foster father and waits outside the house while police and social services are notified. 
Back at her place and from the power of phones, the same girl from the other night, Trish, has been booty called back to Theo's apartment. But wanting to actually talk, Trish probes Theo about her day, who summarizes it, breaking down uh, when she starts thinking about Nell. But wanting Trish to be with her and to touch her. Which was the last words of the episode. Yeah, I don't like that particular <laughs> bit. I was like, lame! But other than that... <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, should we hear your reactions then? Yes, let's do it. So, with this show, is what we're seeing in their head, not physically there. We just get those intercutting shots all the time. But this is the feeling that it gives you, just the filming of it, the visualization, us seeing it, is so we understand the feeling of that coldness in the room or the tightness of the chest and blaming it on the supernatural visually while it's not actually there. Don't know. Creepy angel crying statue crumbling apart is definitely my least favorite of them in the opening titles. Fantastic creepiness, but disturbing. I know it's just a uh, tool for therapy, but also involves like playment and familiarity with children. Um, but the dollhouse is so freaking cool. I always wanted a dollhouse like that. Uh, I didn't have one. The cuts are really helpful between time for me to familiarize myself with which characters who, in terms of the older version of themselves and the younger version of themselves, because I don't say their names a lot obviously to each other in dialogue and conversation uh apart from when they're kids so clarify things and it also looks cool with you know grabbing a thing and closing a thing so it appears that she is some sort of clairvoyant does she use that as a therapist or has been removed from innocence and access to her powers or related to the house a few question marks Oh my gosh, yes, I loving this. Exercise videos were, I think, the first time I ever realized I enjoyed dancing <laughs> because I didn't realize that's what it was, basically. Aerobics, yes. Okay, though, even though my hopes were dashed a moment when she looked back over in the nightclub and saw that she looked away and then backed off, clear cut in shot with her turning off the lampshade and seeing that envelope thingy with uh, her number on it. So I think we'll see her by the end of the episode and maybe her, you know, afraid of commitment is going to be somewhat penetrated. I just realized how that sounded. Um, yeah, I think watching more thrillers and shows like this, including, I guess this show because they do it a lot. I'm getting, Oh, I was just about to say I'm getting used to the jump scares, but no, no, creepy pumpkin, Mr. Smiley face. When she's an adult, that definitely got me. Okay, never mind. False alarm. I'm not sure if it was mentioned earlier in the first episodes or something, but I don't remember that detail. I just remember it kind of being alluded to and him needing to be, like, locked up or something. Oh, okay, so the, uh, her, her groomsman is still there. A groom to be. Can you get my dress? Was the most touching part of that very brief, very wonderful initial reaction of shock, and then uh, eventual, of course, acceptance and love um, of her coming out during the wedding. It was really cute. At first thought, I think this is terrifying, kid. What are you doing? Why would you move and crawl under a creepy, like, nice move with a spatula, but creepy crawl space where your kids are? There's a monster down there, just so willingly without a torch or anything or 
something. Okay, this light's cool, but then I also think back to when I was a kid and I would literally go into crawl spaces and into the dark and sometimes my parents were worried that I would get into the sewers drain somehow. No, 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 I did not. I just played with the cat from the sewer drain. Okay, just realized why she wears gloves all the time, just like Rogue. Her powers are related directly to physical contact, and so I thought she was just like a bit of a kinky style of dressing when you're at a lesbian bar, you know, put on something different. Oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, she's feeling what? Oh my gosh, no, 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 no. I do, oof, okay. Mm, no, don't like it. Best way to exit uh, an argument or a scene. Oh my gosh. Fucking PhD. Very nice. Yeah, I like the two of them together. That's going to be sweet. I hope Trish and Theo are in it for a long haul, at least for this season. Um, yeah, um, cute. Cute? Well, it's not cute, but it ended on a cute note. I mean, okay, so one thing I didn't mention in my recap is that also when she picked up her royalty check uh, from Steve, she also mentioned that's not what it's, you don't know what happened that night, given you were asleep for 99% of it. Yeah. Uh, And she has a moment where she touches her father's hand and gets the similar creepy vibe that she got from her mother, but I don't really know if it was the same, it was different, the eyes went all white and big and didn't know what was going on. So, um... Yeah. Okay. But it ended after that with her saying touch me and me being all lovey-dovey for her and Trish because I just (laughs) am a fan of same-sex relationships where it's like, okay, yeah, hook up first, maybe something afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, let's give this a go. Which is definitely Theo's deal. (laughs) Yes. I mean, she wasn't really looking for anything else afterward, but, you know. (laughs) She's sad. She needs some companionship. Oh, I completely understand her motivation right now. (laughs) Uh, But it's just, it was just a nice moment. Yeah, 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 good, great. Um, so did you? So we've we talked a bit before about how you, the first time you watched this, you were very tired. You fell asleep through it. Yes. Then you tried to watch the first two episodes again, mm-hmm. and then you you watched the first two episodes, and then this one. Yes. Um, are you any more drawn in by it on this much on this rewatch? So, much more so. It's a show that you have to pay attention you to. Really do. As I mentioned in my reactions, I was struggling. I got it more by I got around to this episode. Yeah. Uh, But in the first two episodes, when they were kept flicking back and forth between times, Mm. I first, I just struggled with uh, separating the mum and Olivia. I shouldn't. The mum is Olivia. Sorry, the mum and Shirley. Olivia and Shirley. Yes. Two different people. Yes. I'm aware of that, (laughs) especially now in this episode. But uh, something about how their hair bounced and also that their mothers, uh, it it was a bit of a struggle for me at first. But um, especially with the transitions and especially how I realised that they were character-focused episodes. Mm -hmm. So every time we got a cut between the modern-day timeline and the kid timeline, um, it was very clear to me that now I was seeing Theo as an adult and Theo as a child. Yeah. Uh, and, and the cuts were very nice and seamless in between. It wasn't just as simple as, you know, those good cuts where you transition to a different scene where, you know, someone picks up something and then puts it down. But it was also uh, not just a different scene but a different timeline. Very yeah. common sort of thing these days, but it just it works really seamlessly here. This show looks Gorgeous. It looked the aesthetic of this show is amazing. And because I wouldn't expect a horror TV show to include so much daylight. Mm-hmm. And in the kids' timeline, a lot of it, or well, at least half of it, seems to be happening in the daytime. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get the kind of freaky stuff that happens 
and can still be scary in the daytime. It yeah. means it's genuinely scary. Absolutely. Um, but then, of course, you've got all the darkness elements that um, make it a bit more jump scary. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, this is not about this episode. It's actually something that happened in, a, in the episode before this because I did rewatch the first two as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that just kind of – there's one moment that I just think is so beautiful and also terrifying in the episode before that when um, – when Shirley's in the basement and she has, uh, sorry, in her morgue and she sees Olivia oh, yeah, yeah. and, um, and Olivia's holding the box. And I love it that they, they do this light effect on her face. that looks like the filtered light that was coming through when they were outside and the light was coming through her hat. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that moment, but I, that's just one of those moments that reminds me like when I'm watching the first scene with them, burying the cat and the light comes through on her face. I'm always like, that's something about that's just a little bit creepy and, but also beautiful. Mm. And then when they replay it later in the episode, I'm like, it is creepy and beautiful. <laughs> I mean, creepier now, but you know, yeah. I don't know. I just find they, they, the way that the show finds those, um, little lighting tricks that that make you feel uneasy especially Mm -hmm. even if it's in full light yeah yeah that's it's quite effective because it gives i will say that i always found olivia unsettling i'm not sure if that's because i got flashes of jump scares while i tried to watch it the first time Mm -hmm. around uh, and realized something was off about her or about her in the future i still don't know Mm -hmm. but um it's it's she was even in you know she's beautiful Absolutely gorgeous. Um, But she's also, when the sunlight kind of dances around her, it seems like it's moving around her. Yeah, there's something about the way that they always, I think they always backlight her just a little bit. The backlight is just quite strong. So it's it's not like her face is in shadow. Mm. It's just you there's something off about there's something it. kind of ethereal about yes her. It, it kind of almost looked like a moment like with an elf in riverdale or something yeah. like that in lord of the rings riverdale but yes yes <laughs> in riverdale. Uh, <laughs> but yeah she's she's very she's kind of elegant and ethereal in a way that takes her out of the reality of the show and yes. that's what i think is a bit off-putting about her is that you don't expect um in this, what's generally, I mean, other than the ghosts, a pretty realistic world mm. in the way that it, how it looks, she just is kind of apart. And I think that they... Um, and her dialogue isn't incredibly removed from other people's. There's a slightly different style to it. Mm. But she has regular conversations with her husband and with the kids about, you know, sometimes difficult things such as death mm. or the sensitivity. Yes. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's 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 nice to see that they've gone with a visual language that makes you feel uneasy and you don't even know quite why. Yeah. That's some really wonderful lighting done. Yeah. Because I think that's mostly to do really with the lighting. Strong. I guess a bit of the camera work as well, obviously, because that's very much works in tandem together. Yeah. But it's not about what she's wearing or how she's acting necessarily. There's a little bit into how she's I think it's a little bit in how she's acting, how she's always so kind of calm and smooth. Yes, and when she detracts from that it's genuinely scary it's yeah it's really jarring like like when you see your parents be sad for the first time or something Uh like that and you're like wait they're experiencing emotion yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's it's even more jarring for her because she is so put together and Mm. so like yes look 
elf from Rivendell. Riven- Rivendell. Yeah, so I think I think what they do with Olivia, not just in storyline, but yeah, you're right, in aesthetic. Um, there's even as you watch throughout the show, mm. um, there's a change in her costuming, which is really interesting. Yeah. Just like, and it's so subtle, and you probably wouldn't notice unless you've seen the series four times, <laughs> like this gal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really beautiful the way that they've shot this show. Mm. Mm. Really, really beautiful. Um, I want to know why you picked this episode, uh, and I hope it wasn't just catering to me. No. Because you know I do enjoy, obviously, homosexual (laughs) content and relatability, but also, you know, the show needs to be more than that, and you're not going to get easy points for that for me. No, no, that was... was that actually was had very little to do, it, yes. to do with it. Um, I picked it for pr- pretty utilitarian reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, I didn't want to... So there's a, there's a twist that happens in episode five. Okay. Um, and the episode before that, episode four, I think is also really good. Episode four and five, probably my two favourites. But they're also really involved and reveal a lot. And you've already got a lot of information by the end of episode three. Exactly. Still a few question marks, but you have information surrounding those question marks. Yeah. So I think, I genuinely think that this show over the first five episodes just gets better and better and better and better and better. And then the la- the back half is also really, really strong. But it's um, just like a, a similar level of Yeah, yeah. And then, and then it kind of levels out at being just yeah. really great until the end. Um, so basically I picked the middle ground because I knew that the first two were a little bit boring. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not boring. They're slow. They're slow. They're slow. You're right. They're definitely slow. They're slow. But there's, if you pay attention, there's a lot of stuff in there. Mm. Um, and then four and five, I knew were really excellent, but that you would need a lot of context going in. Yes. So I picked like... you the middle one, which is, I think, definitely still really strong. And I knew it did have some stuff that you would be interested in, but mm. also I really like it. I really like the idea of, um, I really like the idea that, Theo's reaction to what happens to Nell is to um, try and help this other little girl. That there's kind of another storyline happening there. Yes, which and doesn't I, always happen. Which, which I and which I don't know. I don't know what's happened to Nell. I don't know what's happened to her husband. Yeah. What led her to the point that we saw her originally in the first episode? Well, no, you're not supposed to at that point. Um, and so much like last week, this we've been talking about horror shows, and it's a big part of horror is the question marks. Mm. You've got to be guessing. You can't know what the situation is. Yeah. Um, actually, something that I watched last week, um, you know, American Horror Story 1984, they kind of tell you who the killer is at the uh, midway through the second episode, mm-hmm. uh, but then I'm also like, but someone else was killed before this, so there's another player or something at hand. But I was like, you're revealing too much too soon. Yeah. But I think Ryan Murphy's tiddling too much on the in-between zone of genuine horror and satirical. Okay. Campiness. campiness like it was done for scream queens yeah. because it is in that 1980s aesthetic yeah. um so and also you're dealing with the teen slasher genre so it is the campiest of the horror yeah, yeah. You know, subcategory um whereas this show is so horror horror not like something well, which ho- feels like it's a bit more horror thriller maybe it's it's more horror thriller family drama <laughs> because last week we were trying to see because it's like Swamp Thing didn't fully lean into the horror. It just yeah. had moments and it was kind of more of a drama, crime kind yeah, of thing yeah. flitting around it. Um, whereas, yeah, this is – this I didn't realise was so – I knew that its rooted relationship in families and the interactions between those was mm. most likely one of the main reasons why you enjoyed the show. Um, but yeah. I didn't realise that the essence of family – uh, maybe outside of This Is Us, I really enjoyed This Is Us season one. I never went back to it after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but 
the fact that if you cross between timelines and you kind of expect that family members drift apart from each other as they yeah. get older, but the fact that that could still be dynamic to me, mm. when you've got the added element of the supernatural, but also the not obviously supernatural, let's kill it with some salt and a stake through the heart. Yeah. It's so much more disconcerting and effective because it affects people in different ways. Yeah. And I love seeing, like, this isn't part of this episode, uh, but in the previous episode we saw, you know, the reasons why um, Shirley decided to become a coroner. Yeah. Um, you know, you fixed her. Funeral director, but yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Coroner's yes. kind of different. Oh, yes, it, it is Mortician, much more different. I think and she's, she's more of a, yes, and a, a mama and does the, the, yeah. the process there. Sorry, I've been dealing with a lot of ancient Egyptian mythology stuff right now, so embalming is at the top of, like, my dialogue. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think, I think that that's basically what the whole premise of the show is, in my mind. It's basically using... Um, this kind of supernatural idea of ghosts and um, haunting to basically play as an allegory for family trauma. Mm. Um, and, and just, and it's literally watching everybody's reactions to, to what happened to them as children, to what happened to their mother and how that then plays out when a similar thing happens with um, another family member and how that, you know, rebrings those traumas back out to light mm. and, and that kind of thing. I think it's a really, beautiful and subtle way of of exploring that without having to go really deep into the weeds of um necessarily like watching a family just struggle with their mother's suicide like that is just a really heavy material yeah you can't be doing that all the time in every single episode and and i find i think that this is a for me it's a more compelling way to look at it while also still allowing you to see um the complexity of of everybody's emotion and everybody's reaction um and not belittle that but also you just you know you add an extra little element to make the whole thing a bit more palatable Mm. which is hard to say that horror makes things more palatable (laughs) um but that's that's kind of the point of a lot of horror. It gives it, um, yeah. I didn't realize how much uh, horrors can be uh, basically a big old metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to just be a vehicle for the main content that it is actually pushing between the central characters. Exactly. Because when I go to horror, I generally go to horror for horror. Yeah. Uh, and then if I get the other things, it's a bonus, and I'm actually going to like it. Yeah. Um, whereas I can just not get the other things and be like, oh, this was a fun horror time. Cool. Yeah. It was dark and scary. Loved it. Yeah. Um, whereas this. I have to really pay attention because one thing doesn't mean one thing, mm-hmm. which is why at the very start of my reactions, I was like, is this haunting thing actually happening? But are we visually seeing how it feels like, yeah. you know, the coldness in a room where you think there's a cold spot um, or the fact that why she's wearing a cold, you know, a, a sweater all the time through summer. I think that was a really nice reveal towards the end of the childhood storyline yeah. um, to really bleed into yeah. the fact that she is quite different than the others. Mm. But it was like, just those little moments of when those little things paid off at the end of the episode that in three different storylines, even though one storyline was quite clear where it was going, the other storyline was quite clear where it was going, the children's storyline, mm. I didn't actually know where that was going. Well, and you still don't really yes. by the end of the episode. But I mean, like in terms of how the episode is going to wrap up in terms of their own journey and their yeah. path. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, so it's this kind of long-winded thing of the sight or the seeing or the shining or this kind of yeah. family super natural um empathetic perception 
is as this capability between people in her family. Mm. Um, oh, that's what we know so far. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I did. I can't believe I didn't realize that she was always wearing gloves <laughs> until this moment, mm-hmm. uh, until that moment earlier um, when we went back to the nightclub. Because I was like, oh my gosh. Because I was like. Would she be? That would be an amazing tool to use in therapy to try and help people. Yeah. Um, and so, especially you get that other little offline when she's sitting outside uh, the residence uh, of the foster family, being like, "Yeah, I know. Just trust me on this. Have I ever been wrong before?" Yeah. So clearly, she has done this more than once in terms yeah. of finding a child in a situation that is terrible, mm. and with her powers, is able to actually help them out and get to the ultimate truth of the thing that kids don't necessarily have the ability to speak out about yeah um the personification of the mr smiley terrifying terrifying Terrifying. i always forget about that bit that bit with her in the bed and then look it's on a couch no no sorry the earlier oh oh yeah when then then when she wakes up from her reliving uh nightmarish memory from her past and then is in another nightmare and then wakes up again. Yes. So I, I hate always, the fake out like wake up. <laughs> I know, but the, the the that creepy Mr. Smiley bit right there. And you can tell that she's already catching on. Catching on because he's wood grain. Yes, because at first it was dark and I was watching it in daylight and I was like pumpkin face? But mm. Mr. Smiley, I got that quite clearly. But then when I watched it the second time, I was like, oh, it's connected. Yes. Yeah, she'd already kind of get in some of the information without even yeah. fully knowing it. Yeah. It's like when she was a child and we first see it, it's fancy. Doesn't necessarily know what that means yet. Exactly. Maybe. She doesn't know what a she vintage knows, bottle of her, wine is. Her dad said, we're looking for fancy things. And she touches it and she goes, well, this is that. This mm. is fancy. I don't know what it is, but it's fancy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's that idea that she can, you know, it may not always be on the surface, you know, if, if she has to go almost through something, like yeah. through the box to the to the bottle of wine or or through the child's kind of built-up walls, yes. then she just gets the little hints of things. Um, but then if she touches something and it's right she there. she was even surprised that she couldn't get a read on her. Exactly. And I was like, get a read on her? What are you talking about? I was like, oh. A literal. <laughs> a literal, <laughs> like, psychic read on you. Exactly, yeah. 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 No, she knows what she's – she knows what skill she has. And I find it interesting that – um. And this is probably doesn't play so much into the first couple of episodes that you've seen, but to the extent to which the family understand oh, what she like can what do, she has, um, where it's kind of like sort of vaguely accepted, but not talked about, but like, like yes and no, and they know that she's not a hugger, but like <laughs> you know, she doesn't like being touched, she doesn't like being touched, and but you she know. seems to have this sixth sense. Yeah, so you know, just just that idea that her her skill, her sensitivity, and and it's all it's also really heartbreaking when you think that part of what she has to do, part of what makes her good at her job with this gift is that she actually has to experience the pain. Yes, no, and so really when I saw that, it was because you also see it later in this episode when she recalls Nell, mm. and I'm like, you're are you feeling the actual thoughts? of what she was experiencing before she committed suicide. That's so intense. Mm. One, we saw an experience of an extremely traumatic incident of a little girl and how that would feel in order to actually create this physicalization of a monster Mm. to cope. Um, But then to relive your loved one's thoughts and emotions and pain Mm. in their final moments would be 
utterly overwhelming. I can definitely see why she doesn't normally get attached to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also why she would reach out for physical and intimate connections on a short-term basis because yeah. she's not getting physical touch in exactly, her day-to-day yeah. life. So she does crave it as a human being in some way but lets it off in small, short bursts. Mm. And, and I think particularly because, you know, she would reach out to somebody like Trish because she kind of knows what to expect from Trish. She's done it with her once. Like she's had sex with her once. She yeah. knows what she's going to get when she touches this person. So she's kind of like. Because it could be a, a bit of a lottery. Exactly. Like are you are you going to meet somebody who also has dark, terrible memories? And stuff? Like, you know, it's definitely a gamble. So in this time when all she needs is just the comfort and and the touch and the safety, she it's reaches intimacy. out to this person. It's yeah. intimacy. Because intimacy is very much grained in sometimes physical movements. Mm-hmm. Um but to feel an emotional intimacy, there generally tends to be some level of physical intimacy that mm-hmm. is part of the relationship, whether it's as simple as a hug or a handshake or a kiss on the cheek mm-hmm. um, or as rigorous intercourse. But, you know, intimacy is something that isn't necessarily connected between the two, but is mm-hmm. something that is very powerful if it is present there. Exactly. Uh, and so I can definitely, like, I'm not that kind of person, but the whole one-night stand thing, I totally get that. <laughs> and, like, you know, I'm a bit of a commitment for over time, so mm-hmm. I definitely understand this this element, especially by a character who is so strongly motivated by not wanting to normally be touched mm-hmm. for various good reasons. Yeah. But it gave me this real unlevel uh, expectation of not knowing what to see next because mm-hmm. of how much supernaturalness was exposed in this episode mm-hmm. because before it was very uh, estranged. Yeah. It was very um, uh, interpretive yeah. in terms of what we were seeing and what we were, what we knew what was real, what wasn't. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, okay, so now we got a character who kind of knows when things are bad. Yeah. Is that going to OP us a little bit too much? But also you're not always going to have her in the no, same scene. Nobody you has don't any like power. this whole OP. She has power. She has a power. Yeah, but she, she doesn't have like a power, <laughs> you know? It is a a supernatural ability. There's no such thing as OP. Anyway. Okay. Um, you just powered as much as you need to be for the narrative. Um, <laughs> Which is a problem in television when no, someone is OP. No, you Sorry. just need to. In Marvel, Captain Marvel. You just, it's not a problem. Captain Marvel. It's not a problem. It is a problem. It is not a problem. Well, be for the sequel. Not might be. Okay. They'll find a way to deal with it. <laughs> um, continue. Um, yeah, I think you're right. The the supernatural elements of it become increasingly more contextual. I think that's another reason why I wanted to pick this episode, because in the first two episodes, like, you could be, like, yeah, it could be that there are just pipes in the walls, or mm. it could be that there's that was a, really a creepy person yeah. trying, to, trying to freak you out, or it could be something explainable, whereas by the time you get to this episode – no, it's not. There's literal haunting. Yeah. There's actual proper literal haunting. Um, there's a there's a ghost in the basement that just tried to claw and get Luke, you know? Yeah. I mean, the rip wasn't... Um, I wasn't... A, see, it's, a, it's in it for the details for me. The way that his shirt was ripped... Mm is not how it would have happened with definitely the same offcut of the shirt that she finds at the end of the next episode, which it bothers me. It bit here. No, it didn't. Yes, it, did. it was like an open, like, cross mark. No, it wasn't. It was, it was underneath his armpit into here. But it was... 
we saw an opening for his chestal region. That's just because they were like pulling it across. It was a loose shirt. Okay, okay. Do you want to trust the person who's seen the show four, four times? times? I mean, I just watched it twice, but you've seen it four, sure. Um, it was, it's fine. It works. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, by this point in the show, there's ghosts and we, we kind of need to accept that there's ghosts and there's people with sensitivity and that kind of thing. And I think the idea that you slowly reveal that, um, but that you don't take too long to reveal it, I mm. think is quite important to the show. It would be frustrating as an audience for you to be led on for half a season in yeah. terms of whether these things are or aren't real because then you don't know what you're fighting. Are you fighting, you know, mental trauma or are you fighting supernatural beasts that Mm. are also a result of, you know, terrible things that have happened inside a house and also you have trauma related to the events that have happened to them? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's a different kettle of fish in terms of what you're expecting for the trajectory of the story and for the motivations and strengths of the characters. Yeah. So it's it's something that is good, but it just jarred me because I was expecting this show to be a little bit more on the iffy side on episode three. Yeah. Um, because we still haven't really gotten anything from Luke. Yeah. And also the father has had quite limited screen Luke's time. This episode is the next one. <laughs> and you really, your favourite. It's really good. Um, aside from him being uh, an attractive man. Um, Luke? Yes. Yes. Uh, I... Um, I, I'm a little bit worried, but given that you said it's one of your favorite episodes, because uh, I, I just don't like the trope of the um, distanced, sensitive child who turned into a uh, drug addict and is just constantly letting down the family. I mean, I understand that that is a trope for a reason. It is an actual character. It is a real person, and these kind of motivations and things happen. I just am tentative to how that sometimes is kind of represented in TV shows in terms of recovery and this kind of representation. Yeah. Um. Uh. And, you know, what led to that? I mean, like... Like we've talked about maybe with the Umbrella Academy. I'm not sure if we have talked about this too much. We've talked about the Umbrella Academy, but I'm not sure what you're about to go into. In terms of on air. uh, In terms of, you know, how someone can cope with seeing such uh, Mm. difficult things as, you know, the undead or, you know, physical manifestations of hauntings Mm. uh, that you would have, and given that he was the youngest... Well, Nell and Luke are twins. Oh, right, right, right. Um, I think Luke's technically older than Nelly. uh, That they... Um, the most susceptible and seemingly the most mm. um, affected uh, by being in that house at their age, mm. as opposed to the others, especially given how you see Steve's uh, approach to things uh, in his episode mm. and what he says with the um, the client or uh, person of interest that he had. I, I just I just wasn't sh- I have no idea where it's going with Luke because all I saw is that he was kicked out of the wedding because he was running off and I'm like I relate to you buddy also I relate to Shirley telling him to she's not giving him any more money but it's also like family's meant to be there for each other yeah but, but yeah I mean, he's ruined it too many times yeah it's it, hard to like continually trust people and be let down yeah yeah again it's just more manifestations of the family trauma like in, and you even see i think it's in that same episode where the first time they put him into rehab everybody's really supportive oh and Shirley's and the, sure first the first one who says i think He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Yeah. Like, they all believe in him, and then by the seventh or eighth time, you know, there's a little less faith there. Yeah. Um, and it's understandable. But I, I don't think you need to worry about exactly the thing that you're worrying about with Luke. I don't okay. think that the, the the trope that you're concerned about being there is necessarily where they go. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure. Oh, yeah, saying, in terms of yeah. what I'm – yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, no, I, I think you'll really enjoy the next episode and – <laughs> the whole rest of the show uh-huh. it's just so good i just um, love it so much yes yeah, so in 
a few less words. <laughs> Can you tell me why it is? I know why you chose this episode. Yeah, yeah. I know a broader picture in terms of why you enjoy this show. Yeah. But why is it that you love this show? Specifically, what is it in this episode that really embodies why you love this show? What is it in this episode that embodies why I love this show? Oh, it doesn't have to be that. Because you did tell me. There are two, t- there are two different things here. Okay. Yeah. So one of the reasons, not one of the reasons, but trying to encapsulate the reason why I love this show is the idea, and I've talked about it a lot, um, the idea of, of how family deals with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and and tied up among that, how messy family is, um, and the the very very complicated dynamics between each and every one of these siblings, um, and I love the way that that's simultaneously so realistically portrayed, while also there's a really cool ghost story, <laughs> like I mean, and the ghost story actually is weaved into the the whole family the experience. whole family experience so deeply but not in the same way for any of them i just think that that's mm. really rich the idea that we can get a very holistic view of um the way that different people even if they've had the same upbringing or a similar upbringing and how do their upbringings differ from person to person even though they're all part of the same family oh yeah you consider that they, people under the same family have the same sim- upbringing experience it's completely different it's, for all it's different, different everyone feels everyone feels like their upbringing was different and so i just think that the um the complexity of the family dynamic, particularly between the siblings. And you know, I love a beautiful sibling relationship. Yes. <laughs> um, I think. Especially sisters. Especially sisters. Because you um, have sisters. I it have makes them. sense. The brothers, I'm like, eh, whatever. You guys can do whatever you like. But the beautiful sibling relationships. Um, and I say beautiful not because they're like sweet and lovely. And oh, because they're broken. Because they're broken. And, and you like. Five people, they're all just trying to do their best, but they're fucking it up, but not in ways that I feel like they're all bad people, like you're the worst, in ways that I actually <laughs> feel like they are all trying. They're, they're fucking trying it up really in different hard. ways, but they're consistently giving it a good hot go. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's really, in, in the face of such, you know, pervasive, um, ingrained trauma that, yeah, they're just doing their best with the tools that they have and they don't have a lot of tools. And so I think that that's as much as I can try and sum that up. And and I think that that is encapsulated really beautifully in this episode with Theo's journey yeah. where we see very specifically why she is the way she is, but not in a really like. This is your mutant power. Not in a, this is your mutant power, but more like, you know, it's not like this one thing in her past directly relates to this thing now. Like you can see that there's complexity in it. And oh, you- yeah, but the thing that happened as her as a child, I didn't even realise that it was connected until, you know, towards the, the climax of the modern day plotline. Um, which which thing? Sorry. After we were physically told about the sensitivity, and yeah, then she right. started actually using her powers as an adult. Yeah. Um, that I realized that it was linked, and so I liked ha- being on that journey in terms of the fact that it didn't need to be so clearly linked in terms of these different timelines. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why the show is so successful at showing that trying, flawed character mentality, where they're not just all really bad people and keep fucking it up, is because it's given itself this. Um, this narrative told over multiple timelines mm. where not only do you see the first instance that this sort of thing maybe happened to them and affected them as children in the beginning of their trauma, mm. but 
also just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Because just a couple of years ago and now, if you just saw their now reactions and their kid reactions on a couple of years ago when they maybe tried the first time yeah. or tried the second time or even tried the third time, yeah. that them giving up on a particular aspect of their sibling but still being there for them would not come across as meaningful or as like bully for them that character I'm on your side you're quite right there and that's interesting note that I hadn't even really picked up myself is that I I like the kid stuff and I like the now stuff and I've always liked the middle stuff as well but that's never really come out that strongly to me um but I think you you're quite right and you've touched on an important note there that if we were just seeing those two timelines nothing would mean quite as much Mm. we do need to see kind of what their standard operating procedure is yeah. as, that, <laughs> as that middle time um, so that we can see how things have come to where they are now, yeah. um, whether they've deteriorated or changed or whatever it may be. Generally deteriorated. Um, generally deteriorated, <laughs> but not necessarily. Yeah. Like no, I Theo, guess like Steve is now a successful book author. And Theo between that time and now has not. <laughs> she's got a PhD. She's got a PhD. She's got a successful, pro- like, so she's doing just fine. But also, you know, it's, it's important to see that she, you know, she took the opportunity to take the money, which is going to be contentious. And and I liked that she also has had that element of uh, your wife's found about your, your single account. Yeah. Just tell her you have a mistress or something, something better than the actual truth. Exactly. (laughs) Something that'll make her less mad. I'm like, oh, you know, that things are bad if the mistress story will make her less mad. But yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. That, that middle ground story. And it's interesting because my brain always having whenever I finish watching this I always want to see like even more middle stuff yeah I'm desperate to see them all as teenagers I would just love to see them all as teenagers I will say the modern stuff is the most captivating because as kids obviously you know there's no threat to them yeah because they're alive now yeah um as adults uh after the first episode we don't know exactly what's going to happen mm. and who's going to make it or not. And there's a bit more of it on the edge of your seat. And more whereas, of a, yeah, yeah. There's more of a, an urgency. Yeah. Um, and whereas in the a few years ago timeline, it's kind of like a moment to settle, but it also kind of feels like hurry up and get to the bit that we were in before because I want to know answers to my questions. But you're right. You need those settling contextual bits. Like mm. it's you actually need breathing, but you also need the contextualizing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the kids like there's mystery on both sides of the main storylines. Mm. There's a lot of mystery. There's what happened to Olivia, and then there's what happened to Nell. Yeah. There's kind of those two storylines that are running concurrently. Mm. And then, yeah, the stuff in the middle is important to, to help us know who everyone is. But it's the least supernatural uh, time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I really can't love this show enough. And it's one of those ones I... I I want to rewatch it all the time. No, well, look, I'm giving it four stars. You're giving uh, it four? I'm definitely giving it four. Great. It's not just because a show being detailed doesn't mean you're going to get four stars, you know? Yeah. If you have to focus so hard on a show but you're not enjoying it, then yeah. that's not a good sign. I do have to focus when I'm watching this show, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like work because the flipping between the timelines means that I'm constantly interested in these different mm. portrayals of these characters. It's rare for me to enjoy going back to a character before they'd uh, like accomplished something or gotten over something because how is that going to be interesting when I already know where the end point is? Yeah. But what it does is it actually, you know, makes me understand it so much more mm. um, that I found it 
like quite interesting that it wasn't from the now timeline that I was getting my most of the information to contextualize what had happened to Nell or what had maybe happened to their mother and their father, because even that information isn't very freely given mm, out. Exactly. Uh, is that in those middle times I was like, oh, is, 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 does the groom run away? Does, is the groom there? Oh, he's actually there. Okay, so cool. He's there. What's going to happen to him? Something horrible. I don't know yet. Oh, okay, what's happening? But so because of the differences between the then and the now, that the in-between yeah. was where I kind of got my moments to really like sit up and be like looking out for the mistakes or looking out for the differences mm-hmm. um, that made me feel like I was being rewarded. Yeah. <laughs> it had this moment of like making me feel like I was doing a good job for noticing something. I mean, if you if you pick the, seat, the episode five twist early, which I started to guess it, like at episode four? I think I started to guess it at episode four. Yeah. And then by the time I got to the start of episode five, I was pretty sure I had it. Um, and then when it when it turned out to be true, I was like, I was both like, and it's, it's hard because it's like, it's the twist is what it is. And you have your emotional reaction to the twist. Yeah. But also there's that little bit of vindication in there as well. <laughs> like I knew it. I knew that that's what and it that's, was. And that's a good sign of the fact that it's been written well in a way that you, the audience has the bits. Mm. By the time you reveal a twist, the audience should have the bits that they, some people might be able to get there. Yeah. Even if it's just five seconds before you announce yeah, it. Yeah. But if you could get there a bit before that feels so satisfying so satisfying <laughs> it's a ama- oh my god all right. I'm going to go watch it probably when I go home. So I'll you let you should... know after four and five, because I really wanted to watch the next episode. But I was actually under the impression that if I watched the next episode, I would probably really struggle to talk more about this episode. So I was the, the same. Podcast. I actually, I watched the third episode and then I watched one and two again. And I, then I was like, damn it, I should have watched them in order. Um, because, <laughs> because like I say, I have struggled to separate what happens in various episodes. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, the other reason that, yeah, I wouldn't have wanted you to go ahead is because then suddenly it becomes a bad episode four. It's so good. Okay, cool. Cool. No, well, another success in your books, Jane. Yay, I'm <laughs> really another one in the marker for you. I mean, I hope, I hope that it, you're not just giving it four because you know how much I like it. No, definitely not. No, no, no. I would not, I would not do that. I, I genuinely did enjoy it. I don't, I'm not on board with Shirley or Steve yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you know, I don't have enough for Luke. Uh, Luke's barely there. Yeah, the, you haven't seen a lot of Luke. He, he's probably had a, a total of two minutes thirty screen time by this point. I mean, you also as an adult, you also haven't seen a lot of Nell, really. No bits and pieces. More people's reaction to Nell exactly. that gives me information about Nell. Shirley and Steve are interesting in that. On my first watch, by the end, I didn't really care much for either of them, particularly Steve. Mm. But on my third or fourth rewatch, um, I have come around to appreciating those characters in a very different way. Yeah, but you need you need different characters to like and dis. You do, you don't yeah. you can't like every single character no, on course. the show because then that means that you're not going to find um, something strong to connect to with one particular character. Yeah. And there needs to be difference between the two. And I think that is the case. Several. I think it's more the case that once you watch it more than once, you realize the complexity in there and you appreciate it for that. Whereas I think on first watch, it feels a little bit surface level with those two. Well, I, I must conclude a uh, congratulations uh, in terms of, it wasn't a competition by any means, but in terms of this Halloween times uh, themed episodes that we had, um, Swamp Thing had the same opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, a short season that unfortunately had to end by a certain point of time. I will say, though, however, 
it's clear that uh, the haunting on House of House Hill, the haunting of Hill House. Thank you. There we go. Um, was very well thought out <laughs> and knew how much time it had to give what it was trying to and do. And I mean, that is, again, the benefit of a, it's a bingeable show. And I don't. Yes, and it was released all at once. And it I'm was a binge more show. than willing to admit that you, I don't think you would get as much watching this show week to week. Week to week. Yeah, I, I think it probably wouldn't have gained the same sort of um, uh, momentum yeah. that it got because, you know, after this came out, I knew it wasn't just you raving about it. It was a number of articles talking about it and, like, predicting what season two would be if we were going to get one, why we may not, and the book and all this other stuff. All these articles were coming out, and I didn't read any of them because I was like, Jane cares about this show. Would probably end up being a podcast episode if I don't get around <laughs> to watching it, won't it? I'm really glad you didn't and that you haven't been spoiled for what happens in the end and, yeah, I mean, and throughout. A big know. part of that is I'm not really part of the Tumblr universe. But I mean, also, I, I don't think there have been as... I haven't, I think, watched enough stuff that the YouTube algorithm is targeting the Haunting of Hill House episode stuff towards me. I also haven't seen that much of that stuff because oh, I... Oh, like video style essays in terms of breaking that down. No, I yeah. haven't really done a lot of that. I'm just... I'm, this is one of those ones that I'm quite happy to just enjoy on my own. I don't need to take part in any discourse. Oh, I am, there's a bit on the Reddit threads, but there's every, Reddit really has everything. Reddit. Um, no, I've got a little bit of a little bit of Tumblr, mostly like an incorrect, um, incorrect haunting of Hill House quotes. Tumblr, what? You know those um, Tumblrs that you get that are like they attribute the quotes from other TV shows or memes mm. to the characters on that TV show? No, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, I'll have to show you some of my income, <laughs> some of the ones that I love them. They're really funny. Anyway, um, yeah, so I haven't taken part in a lot of Haunting of Hill House discourse. I read a couple articles at the time. I read a couple articles since and, and a couple criticisms as well of a few things where I've gone. Oh, like, I can definitely see why this show would be criticised. Um, but I also think also, it's a bit they're of a, all white people. I'm really sorry. Yeah, the the diversity is is really only existing in. Uh, uh, but you're making them creepy. I was going to say the Christians as the Dudleys, but um, you're making them real creepy. Why are they suspicious? Well, I'm just saying it's nice to see. I guess Christian isn't really a minority. <laughs> no, but I was. I appreciate seeing Christians more in I guess a modern timeline than yeah, the right. past timeline because I think they are a little bit of a diversity thing in this age. No. In in more of a secular setting, you know, when they're the fish out of water. Does that make sense? You don't think they ever feel like a fish out of water? They can definitely feel like a fish no, out I'm of water. I'm sure they do. I just don't think they deserve it. I think that our culture is is culturally Christian enough. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That, it's, it's you know, so much sure, maybe they don't have their exact beliefs, but it's not like they're, you know, so alien because they believe in God. Like, we're all culturally Christian anyway. Mm. So, like, they can deal with the fact that they're not always around somebody else who believes in God. It's fine. Um, but, um, you know, you've got uh, the character of Theo, obviously, uh, being um, of the aligned to the lesbian side of things. I'm not going to um, say specifically because I'm not sure where on the spectrum she may fall. I, I do believe scale. she identifies as being a lesbian. Okay. All, all the way, maybe. That's all my, the way five. That's my understanding is she is a five. Yes. Um, she didn't say into both. She said into bridesmaids. Correct. Uh, yeah, no, we've got some LGBTQIA representation there. Um, Nell's husband is black. Oh, yeah. 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 But that's kind of it. I mean, that's... But also, that that I didn't see him until this episode, so and I'm not really of, giving them that. Part of the problem is that is that you you picked a white family, and it's mostly revolved around the family. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's generic. Like, that's, you know, 
When you do that, you're painting yourself into a diversity corner. The ways of getting around that is adding in extra family members from extramarital affairs, e.g. what Charm tried to do in the diversification. But if you're going to do that, you need to make it part of the story and have and it writing in I there. don't really think there was space for that. Also, Shirley's husband is Latinx and her children. Yes, yes. I, I was uh, just thinking about that as yeah, well. So there is a little bit. But, yeah, anyway, it's, you know. I do say that so far it does frustrate me that I know that this is probably what it's going to be like for the rest of the season, but that the spouses are like no i'm part of this family and it's like he or making the uh choice to not go with her what she said to still support her with royalty checks from the books but you know they're, they're out of their way to be like no i'm still part of this family for steve's wife or the fact I that think that's frustrating that's good what do you what's your opinion on that? oh no i i like that they're like trying to get into mm. the inner family circle but oh, are just not no but i'm like i'm like i like that they have their own independent choices they're not just i'm uh, uh, hanging off the shoulder of my spouse, you mm. know. They're like, no, I will say this, or I will. Yeah, do and, this, and we see I... that Lee's obviously got um a bit of strength behind her in the fact that they have separated, like Steve and Lee have separated, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and she's being very firm on something for some reason, and what that is, we don't know. But uh, yeah, I think I think that the spouses are well drawn, and I understand their struggle not so much. Um, because I think I have the tendency to be a little bit like, no, my sisters. No, my sisters, go away, you husbands, you. <laughs> sisters, sister time, go yeah. away. Um, so I think I have a tendency to do that as well, like not let the spouses into the family, um, which is not nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. Like, you know, you grow up with somebody, you know them intimately, like, you know, it's a, it's different when spouses come into the equation. Yeah. It's a different feeling. Anyway, On a different note, I'm so happy that my brother and their um, uh, respective girlfriend is uh, – engaged um i'm not why i'm announcing that like any of you have investment into their relationship <laughs> in terms of the fact that i'm just supportive of that because i'm so excited to have another sister in law in the family because it's all brothers on my side yeah all sisters on jane's side we haven't really had much of the other experience no and even though that i'm fine with that <laughs> no, i love my brothers-in-law they are delightful human beings absolutely it's different getting to know someone of a different gender um as an adult, though, yeah, than as exactly. children, uh, and I think uh, I definitely, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, craved some the, the more typically female-centered entertainment. Um, what you uh, effeminate? <laughs> never. That I couldn't really share with my brothers, mm -hmm. um, and so I always did like the idea of having a sister, uh, and so it is just exciting the fact that like how you know spouses when they come into a family, what that dynamic can actually be. But if you've got something that's so close near into the family such as like this kind of secret that isn't really a secret but is something that's been torn through the press but is something that people don't like talking about or what actually is the haunting what did i believe in yeah etc um <laughs> why that would definitely put a wedge between the spouses being able to get their foot in the door and probably yeah. actually be a part of the ensemble cast i just don't see them as part of the ensemble cast in this they're just extras unfortunately not just extras, they're not extras they're they they have a few extra su lines they're supporting characters yeah that's fine um, we should stop or we'll be here forever. Okay. Um, so, um, do you know what's been in your eyes? I do know what's been in my eyes. What's eye this been week? glimmering in there? Um, well, I mean, more in my ear holes, really. Again? More podcasts. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, Krista Russo and Jenny Owen Youngs, mm. who, um, both run the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast. Yes. Um, they have both gone off. They they went on a big Buffering hiatus recently and have only really just come back. Um, but they have both gone off and started 
other podcasts with other people. Um, and so Kristen Rousseau is doing a My So-Called Life podcast called... Oh, my gosh, that is exactly your cup of tea. Just wait until you hear the next one. Okay. Um, Kristen Rousseau's is called The Boiler Room. Um, it's really good. I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, where they go down to make out. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Jenny has started a podcast about Veronica Mars. Oh, my God. So I'm as happy as Larry because <laughs> um, I have two fabulous new podcasts to listen to. Um, the Veronica Mars one is called uh, Veronica Mars Investigations. Is Veronica it Investigations. Mars Investigations? Veronica Mars, Mars Investigations. Investigations. Got it. Mars, um, Mars is, Investigations. is the name of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we got that. Um, is it... As a result of the reboot season four or from the beginning? It's from the beginning. Yeah. A rewatch from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's really good. Um, I just love hearing both of them again doing something else. And it's interesting when they do a podcast with somebody else, um, just the different energies that you get. Like, I'm so used to hearing them together. Mm. But I feel like they both have a very similar energy. Whereas now they've gone off to people who are both, I think, um, tempering, calming presences. Um, and it's just bringing a little bit more, um, I think, in-depth thought to the conversation. Not that they were, like, n- you know, not thinking deeply about Buffy, but they're both such, like, excitable, like, ah, oh, we but love this show. Also, I think they the the, the kinship they had with each other mm. meant that they were on a similar energy and, and wavelength. Exactly. Uh, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it may mean that the listener isn't, always on the same level as you because you yeah. two know each other in a different exactly, way. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I'm really enjoying both of those podcasts, highly recommended, and um, they're, they're both relatively new, so they've only got about five or six episodes each, mm. um, but they're both week to week, so it's helping me get through my weekly list of podcasts that are back. You are behind on so many other different types of podcasts, but you just get too excited about new ones, don't you? Well, I've I've fallen off the Weekly Planet unless they actually are going to talk about a topic that I like. In terms of an actual... Because there have been a few filler episodes, I suppose, in terms of when they're just figuring out, like, in a few weeks' time, what kind of movie they'll watch, they'll go back and hark back to other ones. But I really enjoy going back to... Um, what's it called? Um... Uh, like their caravan of garbage stuff on their YouTube channel, and I, I, I is good if I've seen what it is. Yeah, but I I enjoy getting that kind of feel, uh, like looking through their lens, of, particularly of a movie that I know I'm never going to get around to watching. E.g. Rambo, like I'm just not going to watch those movies. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm happy to just hear their summaries of it. Yeah, I'm just sort of like I didn't really want to hear them talk about Stallone movies. I don't see Stallone movies, <laughs> or about Rambo: Last Blood and Brad Astro, which I'm guessing is that movie, which is probably going to be your what's in your eyes. So shut up. Exactly. Exactly, actually. <laughs> so uh, what's been in my eye this week is that uh, I uh, went to the movies uh, and my housemate was just like, let's go to the movies tonight. And I was like, okay, I'm a bit tired, but okay. <laughs> um, and we went to see Ad Astra because it's kind of one of the only things that she was interested in. And I was like, yeah, I actually kind of want to see that. Um, it's, you know, Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, science fiction, all things I'm into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, visually beautiful. Underdeveloped writing. Yeah. Too much focus on the Brad Pitt character, not enough focus on the Tommy Lee Jones character. I think Tommy Lee Jones got, like, ultimately, like, 15 minutes of screen time. Mm -hmm. He was talked about more than actually two. And also, uh, there's this unfortunate situation that, like, as Brad Pitt's character is traveling through different, like, different spaceports of different areas of the solar system to get to where he needs to get to, He just keeps running into different side characters and you don't really have enough time with them to actually Mm. enjoy the interactions. And because the central character is someone who is a very high-performing athletic 
uh, person, but very emotionally detached to kind of keep his heart rate calm and lowered as an astronaut, means that he doesn't talk much to people, so we hear an internal monologue of all his feelings. Oh God, kill me now. So about halfway into the movie, while my housemate was trying to make this a fun time for me with like, you know, a gold class, you know, fancy style theater experience with a bottle of wine and and free your own size popcorn, uh, reclining seating. And then she was like, I'm actually done with this movie. What is happening right now? (laughs) This is so slow. And I'm like, yes, but this, and I was, you know, I was giving her little talking points and defense points. And I was like, give it a chance. We're going to keep watching. I fell asleep for about five to eight minutes. Um, But I was also quite tired. But unfortunately, I do not recommend it at all. Um, But it was something that was not fully on my radar, but it was just like in the back part of my brain in terms of I was kind of interested in this. Yeah. And then I was like, why is it called Ad Astra? Still don't know. Maybe it's the name of a moon of a random planet. Yeah. Uh, I will say that the it is visually quite amazing how they've made all these very realistic style shots of different kinds of spacecrafts landing on different kind of surfaces of different planets and commercializations of settlements and you know subway aisles at the end of the airport. Yawning already in the moon. Oh, okay. Conceptually, I liked it. In execution, it just it just wasn't there. The best part about the movie, I think, was a moon fight car chase. And because it was moon buggies, the tension was quite still high, even though things were happening in slow motion. Mm-hmm. Because if one thing goes wrong or your suit gets, you know, opened up, you're, you're, you're a goner. <laughs> Correct. That is a thing about space. So, you know, the production quality and all of this sort of stuff, very, very fantastic. It's just it's just a, a, a downside when the writing isn't up to snuff of all the other efforts of the departments and these kind of blockbuster movies that have big names attached to them. Don't I? Yeah. That was in my eye. Great. And out of it because I closed my eyes and then back in again when I opened. <laughs> and on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, please remember to go rate, review, subscribe um, on Apple uh, Podcasts um, or, or whatever wherever you happen to yes. be listening. That's fine also. Uh, we can also uh, contact us on any of the social medias at Major Look Pod, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Insta's a fun place sometimes. I recently posted for the first time on my personal account in a year. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of it. Please tell a friend, uh, or if not, just come back anyway. We shall talk to you. Next week. Next week. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. Um, And then we're going to go on break for a while, but I'll tell you more about that in the next couple episodes. (laughs) Thank you so much. Have a good one. You Thank you. Bye. Bye. What's the Matilda? That's what was playing on the video. Oh, okay, right. At the footy. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm looking forward to public transport home. Gross. Hi. Hi. That <laughs> was the exact same time as the fan went down, too. <laughs> Sorry. You're right? Yeah, I just got distracted and I forgot how to podcast. <laughs>
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.